Good morning. Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. It's a well-known phrase taken from this psalm. It's a simple message. Trust God. I think that's going to be what we'll see as we study through Psalm 46. Trust God even when things are going poorly. You know, we've, a lot of us have in our minds been in the news with Russia invading Ukraine and seeing the horrible things going on over there. Having empathy for those that are struggling with those things. Even seeing brothers and sisters in Christ over there struggling with those things. And we feel helpless. And we can, we can pray, but perhaps that's all we can only do. Uh, we can pray, and if we find ways to help, we should do that as well. And as we think about situations like that, we might imagine how that could escalate and go into more areas and maybe even affect us more directly. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, we need to realize that God is in control and especially with regard to eternal life, our hope of the resurrection, which is what this is all about, our hope in God, that uh, we are able to trust in God to see us through. So from this psalm, as we think about trusting in God, we're going to think about these three points. God is our refuge, and we'll see these drawn right from the text. God is our refuge. God has a city, and God's, God does mighty works. Uh, he's a, our refuge. You know, even when things are going horribly wrong, we have eternal life assured for faithful. God has a, a city, uh, and we can look at that. Uh, is it Jerusalem? Is it the Garden of Eden? Is it New Jerusalem and the New Heavens and the New Earth? Uh, but God has a city, and we praise God for his mighty works. He is mighty to save, and he is uh, victorious. So certainly we want to be on his side. So let's read through our psalm. If you're not already there, I encourage you to get there. Psalm 46 is not very long. It's 11 verses long. And, uh, you know, sometimes we forget in the, in the psalms, a lot of times our Bibles have little headings, and we, we read those that kind of tell you what this little story is about right under there. But the psalms have little captions or superscriptions that are actually part of the text of the Bible. And so the first part, it doesn't have a verse number in our Bibles, but this is part of the text as well. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. And that Alamot is, is uh, the virgins, the young women. And so some have suggested that this was a song to be sung by young women and, and that that would be the way you'd hear it because these psalms were to be sung. But let's look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation 
of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's break this down to these three ideas that I see in the text, and hopefully you'll see them as well. God is our refuge. He's our place of safety, our shelter. And uh, of course, in the context of the Old Testament, there were wars and battles that God helped fight for them. Uh, but in our context, we may think more of spiritual things here today. But verses 1 through 3 here talks about God as our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. Should we, should we be afraid and fearful? Even though all these things happen, therefore we will not fear. And then all of these things, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and its swelling. And in this idea of the, the earth and the land versus the water, the ancient view of that was that the, the earth and the land are stable and, and even eternal in a certain sense. And then the waters and the sea were chaos. And we even see some of those ideas in the, the creation story that calming those things down. And the flood, you know, that God brought a flood upon the earth. These ideas are in the Old Testament. And so when, when this chaos is introduced in our lives, uh, in the form of fill in the blank, Ukraine, we see the, the things going on top of mind, but each of us in our lives maybe have uh, a loved one we care about, the death of a loved one, or someone who's sick, or maybe a health problem of our own, and those struggles that can can try to overwhelm us and, and they can try to defeat us. But God is our strength. God is our refuge and our help. We will not fear even though these chaotic things happen. And they will happen in life. Life is difficult, but we, we remain faithful to the end to receive the gift of eternal life the crown of eternal life. <clears throat> Verse 7, jumping a bit ahead, feels like this refrain might fit here. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this idea of God is our, our refuge and our help and also our fortress. He is our place of safety. 
He is our refuge, our strength, our help, and our fortress. We should not be afraid. Easier said than done, but that's what we're called to do. We're to trust in God, even though all these difficult things surround us. We need to know that he has our eternal lives in his powerful hands. And it may be of interest, I think it's in our hymnal, A Mighty Fortress is a a hymn written by Martin Luther, actually, in 1529. Of course, I believe he wrote that in German. It was translated in 1853. And it says here, you might see the echoes from our, our, our psalm here. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing, a bulwark like a, a fortress, <laughs> like a wall that's going to protect us. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us well. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And so, even thinking about the psalm, these forces of chaos, I think we can understand that the source of those things is the devil. And so we're in a, a battle between good and evil, between God and the devil. And what side are we on? Where are we going to put our trust and faith? God is our refuge. And God has a city. Let's think about where or what that city is. We go back to our our text here. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. So there's this beautiful image of this city of God, and there's refreshing water in this river that's symbolized here. And there's different translations, actually using a different translation here, using the idea of a tabernacle. And that's what the way this word is usually translated, the tabernacle or the abode of God. And as we think about Jerusalem, we might think, well, the temple, right? In in Jerusalem, that's the abode of God. Solomon's temple or the uh, second temple that Zerubbabel built, you know, thinking literally. And God is there to help. God is a refuge. He is a city for us. And that is maybe we're thinking about uh, Jerusalem. There are uh, this mention of nations and kingdoms, this idea of chaos and trouble. We might think about war again, even today. The problems can come upon us. They happen and nobody, but nobody can take eternal life from us. The hope of eternal life. No one can snatch that from us. There might be war. There might be persecution against us, but we have eternal life. We have hope in Christ. We have the hope of the resurrection. And God is victorious. And as it says in our text, the earth melted the sound of God's mighty voice. But thinking about this city, is the the city Jerusalem? If you actually look at even current Jerusalem or historic Jerusalem, there there wasn't a river, a literal river, 
uh, running through Jerusalem. There were some rivers way down in the valley alongside that were often dry, and there was a spring. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to think about what is maybe being intended here. You know, water was a challenge in literal Jerusalem. So what do we, perhaps are we talking about? What is the city of God? Where does God dwell? And we think back to the very beginning. We have in Genesis 3.8, we see God uh, dwelling on the earth in a sense here. It says, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that was the whole situation where Adam and Eve had gotten in trouble. But as God's coming into that scene, he said, he's said to be walking in the garden. And then in Genesis 2.10, as we have some context to this Garden of Eden, we're told that there was a river that flowed out of, of this place, Eden, to water the garden, and then it divided and became four rivers. And if you read on, it talks about those different rivers. So there's a river there in the presence of God. But that's a thing of the past. That's not the temple. It's not something we can see today. But Ezekiel 47.1, we start getting some prophecies like this that foretell a better temple, a future temple. It says here, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below uh, the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. So this is sort of an apocalyptic image of the temple, a future temple from the perspective of Ezekiel. But of course, we know the temple is destroyed, and this isn't the thing over there in, in Jerusalem. But this is a prophecy of a, of a temple to come. And John uses some of the same vocabulary in his, uh, in his gospel, talking about uh, Jesus coming to earth the first time. In John 1.14, it says of Jesus, and the Word, Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. Some translations will say dwelt among us or something. But it's the same idea of this tent. He came and camped on the earth. And we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came and made his home on earth with men temporarily. And Jesus is God. So we have some of these elements coming together. And then in Revelation... I think we see the fullness of these things, which this is something we're looking forward to. But as it's stated here in Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as, flow, uh, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember the tree of life from the Garden of Eden? with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so we see this image of this heavenly new Jerusalem, which seems to fit better what our, our psalmist is describing in Psalm 46. So this heavenly city, new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth, 
the river in the city of God. In Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So we're echoing back to those things in the, the Garden of Eden, thinking about how Christ came and tabernacled among us and looking forward to being forever with the Lord. And in that New Jerusalem that we read about there in Revelation, there's said to be no temple. And, and as you study the dimensions of this city, it it's, uh, has all the same dimensions. So it's a cube, which is the same dimensions of the, uh, in the temple. The holiest place, the Holy of Holies, was a cube shaped in there. So, again, we would be in the holiest place with the Lord. Psalm 46, 7, back in our text. The Lord of hosts is with us. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus tabernacled with us. We plan to forever be with the Lord. God will dwell with us in the city. And we have a down payment. God sent his... Holy Spirit to dwell in the church today. We are being built up as living stones, as a spiritual house, as 1 Peter 2.5 talks about. So God has a city. God's full protection is there. And even now, if we're part of God's kingdom, no one can snatch us from his hand. Be faithful unto death. You'll receive the crown of life. And God does mighty works. Certainly, we praise God for his mighty works. And I think that's this section of the psalm is the praise section. We, we look at God's mighty works and we extol his name and glorify him in that. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And this word for chariots, some translations will say shield. Regardless of that, the point is God is a mighty conqueror and he is defeating all the enemies. That's the image that we have here. He brings these, there's these conflicts and he ends them through his mighty victory. Of course, we can think again to uh, Old Testament examples, such as when Sennacherib shut, shut them up in the city and, and God defeated them and cast them away. God is victorious physically, but spiritually we think about the hope we have and how God is going to defeat all of the uh, evil forces and we'll be able to have be forever with him. And then verse 10 this is that famous line, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I think we often use that sentence there at the first part of that verse as a sort of an inspirational encouragement quote verse. The idea being, you know, stay calm, trust God. He's got this. He's got it covered. And that's true. 
That's certainly true, and that is encouraging. And I'm not sure in the context if that's the best way to understand the thrust of what's being said here. You know, who's being addressed by this? Who's being told to be still? And another translation, the, the Christian Standard Bible, has a little bit different wording. If we look at the context here, verses 9 and 10 together, he makes wars cease throughout the earth. God is defeating the foe. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God. Perhaps he's talking to those whom he's defeating. I am victorious and I want you to stop fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations. Exalted on the earth. So perhaps that's uh, not directed to the faithful so much as, as those who are rebelling. But still, we should, we should stop fighting too, and we should be still and know that the Lord is God. 46, 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And what kind of battle are we talking about in our Christian context? Not like with castles and walls, right? Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So even though we're here on the earth in our bodies, there's a sense in which our activities to do right are fighting against spiritual, demonic forces, is the idea here. The war warfare we have is spiritual. Others may even wage physical war against us. And again, things we're seeing happening in Ukraine, people who uh, a month ago were just living normal lives and now they're hiding in their basement with bombs going off. Those things happen. But the war we're called to, to wage is a spiritual warfare against the devil. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a rhetorical question, right? If God is on your side, if you're on God's side, who's going who's gonna to defeat God? Well, absolutely no one. No match. We have a matchless God, and he's mighty to save. Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can do that? Shall tri tribulation, hard times, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? Again, my mind goes to some of the things I imagine some of those folks are struggling with there in Ukraine. Maybe there's things in your life locally here that feel like that. Is that going to separate you from the love of Christ? Nobody can steal our salvation. We need to remain faithful until death and we'll receive the crown of life. But if we do that, there's no one that can circumvent that and short-circuit 
and trick God into taking that away from us. God is almighty, all-powerful. Verse 37 of Romans 8. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is a mighty warrior, and we're fighting on his side. We are super conquerors. We're overwhelmingly conquer. And how do we do that? Through him who loved us. Not because we're so powerful somehow, but we conquer through Christ. God is victorious. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing physical or spiritual or of any imagined source of anything can defeat God's salvation for us. No one can take it away. No one can defraud us of his promise. His promises are sure. But remain faithful until death. You'll receive the crown of life. So God does mighty works. God is a mighty warrior. And there's physical examples we can think about where he defeated physical foes in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we think of these spiritual ideas. And absolutely, God wins. And praise the Lord for that. So, as we think about whatever context this applies to in our lives, having empathy for those suffering, or the things we're suffering with in our own lives, we know we need to trust in God. God is our refuge. And God has a city, a place for us, where he is completely in control, and where we will dwell with him forever. And God does mighty works, and praise be to him for that. Praise the Lord for his great works. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus talking. He's coming soon. You know, he came He came already, right? He came to the earth and he died on the cross for our sins. And he's coming again. Not to do that again. He, that's once for all. That's done. Jesus paid the price. But now he's coming back for judgment. So we need to make sure we're ready. Which army are you enlisted in? God's or Satan's? There is no in-between to that. We'll have the recompense, judgment, condemnation, or the reward. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outsiders are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers 
and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So again, there's this dichotomy. Are we dogs and sorcerers and all this wicked stuff? Or have we washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb? Have the right to the tree of life, to eternal life? Are we still living in sin? We have wicked deeds in our lives. And if we say that we have no sin, 1 John 1, 8, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're all imperfect, right? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's addressed to Christians, of course. We can have our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, be buried with him in baptism. And, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We still have to work through things and, and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And the invitation is right there in Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. It's free. Jesus paid it all. So, how are you going to respond? We need to dedicate our lives to God and recognize that in the difficulties of life, God is our refuge. But if there's some things off the rails in your life and you want the prayers of the church or perhaps you need to be buried with him in baptism, we uh, encourage you to think about that and respond as we sing this song, I am resolved, right? Are you resolved? Are we going to hasten to him? I encourage you to do that while we stand and sing this together.